Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisbee in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisbee, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 21 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm here with Hunter Pence. Hunter, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. What a wonderful week it's been. There's so many fun things happening in baseball, Grant, and I just, um, I'm excited for the show today. Yeah, I'm excited too. All right, so over the last week, uh, when we were talking last week, we brought up Field of Dreams and talked a little bit about the movie. What movie would we like to see? And then I sort of forgot about why we were bringing it up. It was the Field of Dreams game, and I didn't really pay too much attention going into it. I was just like, okay, you know, it's this thing, it's different, whatever. It was a crazy wild success like I think Major League Baseball has to feel like a little bit giddy at how many people were paying attention how it was received I didn't think that baseball could sort of take over the national sports conversation like that anymore it was a wild success yeah, I think that it definitely was a wild success. It was so much fun. It was so beautiful. They did so many cool things. Like, obviously, that that movie has so much nostalgia. It's pop culture. They brought Kevin Costner out, which was really amazing to see him out playing catch on a baseball field. The sunset was magnificent. The game, it was just like, it was literally like a movie story game like the Yankees get score four runs to come back and then Tim Anderson comes back again with the walk-off home run for the White Sox and it was like there was some weird alignment with like shoeless Joe Jackson was the last like White Sox player to hit a walk-off against the Yankees like are you kidding me like what the heck just happened here but the thing that I think is most amazing is I think MLB is is like trying to do some cool things that Start marketing and aligning with like pop culture because they, they need that. They need that audience. And this was one where it was fun for everyone and they really hit the nail on the head. It was one of those things where I think it can appeal to a lot of different areas because it's nostalgia. And so if you remember the movie, if you grew up with the movie, if you appreciated the movie, okay, that hits you in, in one uh, sense right there. But also if you don't know the movie, if you're younger, if you've never seen the movie, it's just like a super cool setting, right? It's just this cornfield, it's open space. It's just, there's a purity to it, even if it's not, you know, it's obviously commercial. So pure maybe isn't the right adjective, but like there's just something about 
about it that's just really cool aesthetically. And so I'm a big fan of baseball aesthetics because you look at like Petco Park and you've got the the metal supply building right there. You look at Camden Yards, you got this old warehouse and that's like cool aesthetically. But then you go to like something that's just corn and it's just open and it's just baseball. So it appeals to the fans of the movie, but also just people who like cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know why. And I'm just going to like, I'm trying to explain why it feels so good to my like soul, like to see a baseball game in a cornfield. You know, it's a baseball field. It's a cornfield. And like, you just have, you have this thought of like, you know, I just think of when I'm a kid and I'm driving wherever and you see a baseball field and it's kind of empty and it just feels like all of this space and you're going to go practice and you're going to have this dream. So it just kind of hits all of those things on the head. It, it brings me back to being a kid and it brings me back to hard work, to success. And then you watch the best players in the world play on a field like that that's typically always just empty and a lot of space. So I don't know exactly what it is about it that feels so good, but the sunset was perfect. The game was perfect. The homers into the cornfield were amazing and it was beautiful and and I'm really glad they did this and I'm excited that they're doing more. The other one I wanted to mention, Grant, was when they did the game in England. I thought that was really cool, the Yankees and Red Sox. I just love that baseball's expanding, doing more fun things. I actually really love the Players Weekend when they wear the crazy jerseys and get uh, nicknames and stuff and people want to buy those jerseys. So I love that baseball's playing and like baseball's a game and sports are fun. Let's play. Let's have fun. Let's create memories. Let's create stories. I think when it goes to the cornfield and your point about that, if you think about when baseball was, you know, the, the national pastime, when it was, became the national pastime, uh, what America was like back then, you know, America's just big and there's a lot of space. And, you know, back then it was, you're taking rail cars to have eight game series, you know, in, in places that took you two days to get there and you just had space and space and space. And so if you wanted to play baseball, you would just have these open spaces wherever you could find it. And that's what made, you know, that's part of what made baseball just a national sport is it, it just fit with this kind of like agrarian you know kind of burgeoning I don't know I, I'm, I'm gonna get a little bit over my skis on this one but it just it reminds me of just what it was like to just follow baseball back in the the 19th century the early 20th century cornfield you know just space it definitely has that old-timey feel, and, you know, the game was, was special, and it was spectacular. I don't know why I'm, like, getting, like, the memory of the Bambino from The Natural on the trains, and, like, you know, everyone's dressed in suits and smoking cigars and piano <laughs> music and training to each game, but it was a huge success. I want, I want to see more of it, and uh, I loved it. So with the London game and with this game, it feels like there's an opportunity to just switch things up, right? And if you're going to switch things up, you're going to grab just a little bit more of the spotlight, a little bit more of the attention just by virtue of being different. I can't think off the top of my head of something that's like can grab someone as 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 much as like, okay, this is different. This is in a cornfield. Is there like a place? I'm trying to think of, of a place they could play, some a place cool, like something to switch it up a little bit like London, like Field of Dreams. Do you have any ideas? Is there like something that, I mean, I can't, a foreign country, a different place? I don't know. I'm running out of ideas. I think that's best left to the professionals. They're definitely doing some amazing things. And, you know, the thought of that is pretty cool. I do know that they're, you know, they have the little league game where they go and play where, where the, in Williamsport. That one's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's tough to, to think of that next wave. But the fact that they are kind of expanding and exploring and doing those things, you know, I think they had like a game in Australia, which was really cool. And, you know, I know that over there it's like cricket and rugby are like the bigger sports. So like I remember hearing that everyone was so fascinated with the foul balls because in cricket to hit it backwards is a really good thing, you know. So they're, they're doing it. And, and, and it's important to expand our great game uh, to, to everywhere and to – to hit these different fans that are interested in different things, unique things. But uh, I definitely don't, like off the top of my head, uh, have an idea of what's next. I just know that I loved the Iowa one. I really do enjoy when they like go to England or these uh, other countries and, you know, do a series. It's pretty cool. Now, let me talk about ballparks that maybe aren't around anymore, so this wouldn't be possible. But is there a ballpark from the past that you would have loved to play in? I remember when they tore Tiger Stadium down, I was distraught that I never got to see a game there. It just seemed like I love the idea of a ballpark where you just totally hit a ball out of it. Like, I just love that. It was a really cool home run park. But I also love, I wish I could see a game in the Baker Bowl. Do you know anything about the Baker Bowl? No, I, I don't have that much, uh, no, no knowledge of the Baker Bowl. <laughs> it was the Phillies, like back in the 20s and 30s. And let me give you these dimensions, okay? Left field, 341. Center field, 408. Right center, 300. Right field, 280. Whoa. 
and it had a super high wall. And so you might be surprised at this, but uh, it was an easy place to score runs. I would love to just catch a, a game there. I know it's not possible to recreate it, but like if I had my dream Field of Dreams games, it would be like a, a, a new Baker Bowl. You know, if, if you like balls going out of stadiums, we have some of those right now. Wrigley and, and Boston. People are not But I prefer, <laughs> I personally prefer the like big stadiums with like all this wild stuff. So when someone really launches one, because like if it leaves the stadium, you don't have anything to compare it to anything else. But sometimes you're seeing people launch things to like second deck, third deck, fourth deck. Like, oh, what the heck did that even hit? I think it went somewhere over there. Like that is like, and I'm watching these guys today launch balls and I'm like what the heck well how did that get there I personally like when like you have something to measure each home run by and like like for instance even just in Colorado when Otani the home run derby hit like one ball in BP and he hit it so far the whole stadium's like ah, and it's like what did that bounce off of you you look at where they hit it and you look at where the home plate is and you're just going what if it leaves the stadium you kind of just like it, it went somewhere didn't it Back in a previous life, I actually ranked all 30 ballparks by how cool home runs look there, right? And so, like, it was taking the ballparks and it's really just looking at the features and how they travel. And when I was growing up, I think the gold standard, because we didn't have the internet, we're not watching all these home runs every day. It had to be, like, one home run that made everyone stop and talk. And for us, it was the Jose Canseco home run in the in Toronto. Right. And so in the new Toronto ballpark, he hit a home run that went, like you said, not second deck, not third deck. It went fourth deck and everyone's just talking like, no, how is that possible? And so the ballpark makes a difference because if he hits that in, I don't know, if he hits that in a different place. Yeah, if he hits that in Wrigley, it's cool. Well, I mean, Wrigley can be cool, too, because he hit the rooftops over. I mean, nobody has ever hit the rooftops on the other uh, across the street. That's like. 500, no, Glen Ellen feet. Hill did. Glen Ellen Hill did. Get it into that, those houses. I got to see this clip. It is wild. I love the Glen Ellen Hill Wrigley home run. Uh, just it's a bananas home. It run. went to the houses beyond. Like uh, like what, what, since they built the stadiums, uh, the 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 stands up there. It might have been before they built the stands, so it was just over. Okay, I got to see. So you're talking this. like the actual stands. I got to see this because I don't know if I'm buying that. I'm pretty sure that's like physically impossible. <laughs> It could be my memory. It could just be me just remembering this beautiful, gorgeous dinger. You know what? <laughs> Physics is made to be broken. <laughs> I think my favorite current ballpark to see home runs hit, and I know we've talked about this a little bit. I like Fenway by virtue of the monster. I think that's a really pure park. But I also love Houston. Houston, I think, is super cool because of the Crawford boxes. And then when you've got Albert Pujols doing his thing against Brad Lidge, you see where that travels. You know, I like those two ballparks, Boston and Houston. Hold on, I'm watching this homer right now. <laughs> yeah. It did! It went up to those stands in that house! What? It's such a digger, man. That's like oh. 550 feet. You like the red shoes or the blue shoes, bro? Like that. I like the blue shoes better. <laughs> Way out of here. Oh my gosh. On he hit it on the roof. He hit it onto the roof across the street. I have never seen that. On top of the building. Even he admired that shot. Someone give me the stats how far that home run was. The yeah, this wind's is before StatCast. Be, that's got to be a torrential wind blowing straight out. That's like... It's on StatCast? No, I said it's before StatCast. So if you're listening to this, just Google Glen Allen Hill Wrigley home run. Uh, I tweet about it like once a year because it's one of my all-time favorites. Just, it's a pure, I mean, Glen Allen Hill is a big dude and he swings like a big dude. And this was a big dude home run. That looks not that far away, but it is so far away. So like, <laughs> I'm a little bit sad that that wasn't in one of the stadiums that we can like, but I mean, I am actually super pumped. Because that's so far away. Oh my God, Glen Allen Hill, what the heck? How hard was the wind blowing out? How far is that homer? <laughs> I need to know. All right, sorry. All right, let's get back to talking intelligibly. Uh, you have more. Uh, uh, you have more information than almost anyone on planet Earth about if someone can hit the glove or the Coke bottle uh, in Oracle Park. Andre Scalaraga came the closest in a game. You've seen a lot of batting practice there. Can it ever happen? Can like Pete Alonso do it? Like, is it possible? 
I think so, actually. I think that's more possible than where that ball just went in Wrigley. <laughs> okay. okay? Uh, I think Stanton's maybe done it. He's come close, yeah. I've hit a couple balls up there that like that like hit and bounce into it, like on that, that top concave. And I know people hit the ball further than I did. So I think that that's more possible than what I just saw. It's so unbelievable you can't believe what Glenn Allen Hill. I don't believe it. How I don't know how hard the wind was blowing out. You know, one, and then another classic one uh, is Reggie Jackson out of Tiger Stadium. That's what got my fascination when I was like 10 years old. I saw like uh, This Week in Baseball, and they just showed a clip of Reggie Jackson hitting it out of a stadium. I think that is the coolest. When you're a kid, like that captures the imagination more than anything else. It just the the concept of like, here's where we're playing. These are the confines. This is this is the boundary. And then to hit a home run so far, it's like, screw your boundary. Like that grabs a kid's imagination. I agree, actually. And that Tiger Stadium, what I saw Prince Fielder hit one out of that stadium, and that was like, it, it grabbed my imagination. I never will forget that home run. So uh, the stadium has to be built just right where it's like a super special homer to be out. Because like, like I said, like in Wrigley and in Boston, when they hit it out of the stadium, it's like great, but it doesn't like stick with you. Like when you saw that home run, I saw the home run from Prince Fielder. Like I was just like, well, what? <laughs> and, and they're so amazing to watch. Like, please go rewatch these homers and uh, you'll get a tickle and you'll be just like, it's a spectacle. Baseball is, it's got so much going for it. And you always remember, oh, the championships and this and that. But the things, when you're a kid, it's hard to process like what a championship means, what it means to grind for 162 games, what it means for a team that hasn't done it in a year, 10 years, 50 years, right? You, but you know what it means to hit a ball out of a ballpark and just entirely just just crush a ball. So I think the Jose Canseco one's a famous one for me. Barry Bonds, uh, you know, and Yankee Stadium's famous. But I also like when you're hitting it out into the water at Oracle Park. I think that's cool. PNC Park is super cool. I think that's like a new wrinkle. And I love that PNC Park, it's not easy at all. I mean, I'm not saying Oracle Park is easy, but PNC Park is like to get it in the river is a different kind of poke. Yeah, it's pretty cool, Homer, and PNC Park to go into that river. They've definitely hit it, but it, it doesn't stick with me the same as it did the, the, the Prince Fielder home run in Detroit. So you've kind of sold me on the, on the Detroit Stadium. You mentioned something that kind of sparked my interest a little bit and talking about teams that haven't been in the playoffs in a while. And I want to jump back to a team that we kind of discussed, and I think they're kind of out of it, but the Seattle Mariners. Like, I want to get into kind of this like wild card hunt because it's definitely shifted a lot since the last time we've talked. There's been a lot of ruffling, and, and it's a dogfight in the American League. Oakland's kind of kind of treading water a little bit. I hope that they can like rejuvenate and rejolt because you know my pick was the Yankees and the, and the A's. The Yankees are surging. They're like, they're coming. But the Mariners, how many games are they back in the wild card right now? As of this recording, they're four games back of uh, the wild card. That's a little tricky because they're four games behind three teams. So there's a numbers game there as well. I mean, look, I am supposed to be a professional journalist. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, you know, I'm making fake finger quotes because, you know, I'm still just a goofball who enjoys baseball as much as the next guy. I really am kind of pulling for the Mariners just because... It bothers me to to when teams have these postseason droughts. Uh, championship droughts bother me. Uh, you know, for certain teams, like I'm always just like, okay, I think it's I think it's their time. I think it's their time, and nudging them into uh, success. So the Mariners, it bothers me that they haven't made the postseason in 20 years, and so I'm pulling for them. And I'm looking at the lineup, and I'm looking at who's performing well. And you've got Ty Francis doing good things. Mitch Haniger is doing good things. The offense, other than those two, just not doing a ton. And so I'm not entirely sure how they're uh, succeeding. And then I go, well, it must be the pitching. And I look at the pitching, you know, it's good. It's okay. You know, Kikuchi's doing okay. Uh, Chris Flexen's doing okay. Marco Gonzalez, you know, he's kind of, he's been making a good run lately. But other than that, like I'm looking at this roster, I'm trying to, I want to believe, but I just, I can't put the pieces together of how they've gotten this far and how they're they're going to go forward. Yeah, I guess just because I love their stadium, and we were talking stadiums, and we are talking teams that haven't made the playoffs, and it just goes back to... But I think Toro's actually doing really well for them offensively, so maybe not this year, maybe next year, but I just wanted to bring that up and kind of transition a little into just these races, the, the NL East. 
the AL wild card. Like, what are your thoughts overall? Like, obviously the Mariners, yeah, I agree. Like, we want them to make the playoffs, and it's a long, long, long shot for them this year. But let's get into a little bit of what's going on. And honestly, let's start with the NL East and the New York Mets. Having a bit of a tough time, their owner tweets out about the offense. Yeah, this is... (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I'm of two minds because if I owned one of my favorite teams, let's say I own the Warriors, I'm not going to shut up on Twitter. You know what I mean? I'm going to be the same kind of jackass that I am uh, in general. It, it, I would just be a little bit more demonstrative about it and I would I would be fired up and I would say, okay. But at the same time, I, I don't know if I would know necessarily what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, all right, so here's the tweet from, from Stephen Cohen. Oh, Greg, before you read the tweet, I want to I wanna preface it with this. They're like, Mets owner blows up the offense. Like this like headline is just like that he destroyed them. And read the tweet. Because I read the tweet and I was like, what? The tweet is, <clears throat> quote, It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie, end quote. That's not like absolutely blowing them up. That's not like, I mean, it's just like frustration. But if you're on the Mets, right, and you you are hitting third for the Mets or clean up for the Mets, you crack your knuckles, you pick up your phone in the morning and you read that, how do you feel? Do, do you feel like, yeah, he's got a point or is there just sort of like a, buddy, come on, not now. I mean, how, how are you feeling? All right, so I have so many thoughts about this, and I'm I like I'm gonna start with a. I don't know enough about this guy. Like I haven't. I don't know like all of his like ethics or whatever. All I know is that he bought the Mets. He has his money. He's made his money elsewhere, and he just this is his childhood team that he loved, and he wants to see him win. He's putting tons of money into him to win, and so first of all, as a player, this guy's bringing in as many people as he can to help you win. You're like. I like this owner. He's given us a chance to win. I play the game because I want to win it all. You know, some owners, like, it's a business to them. It's like, how can we make the most money out of this, whatever? And and whatever, that's fine. For me, baseball was like, I want to be the best in the world at it. Yeah, you make a lot of money. Could he have made more? Maybe, maybe not, whatever. But the Mets guy, yeah. So, A, number one, I like this guy because he's coming in to be the best at it. Now, when he says something like this, and the Mets are definitely kind of tanking, their offense is underperforming. As a player with the Mets, I personally like the heat. And I like that you're willing to call it out. And like, there's gonna be sensitive people and they're gonna you know, well, why isn't our owner backing us up? But sometimes that pushes you. Like I remember one of the coolest things that, that Sabian did when I was with the Giants was when we were having a similar year to the Mets where we like, were the best team ever the first like two months. And then we had, we were the worst team in the league for like a, two months. Uh, we had this like June that was like God awful. And Sabian like put out a quote in the, in the newspaper that was like, I didn't make any trades because I don't don't think we're good enough. And he just blatantly called us out. And that pissed us off in the perfect way. Like we weren't like we weren't like we hate Sapien. We were like, no, we're gonna prove you wrong. And like, yeah, we're gonna step up. So I hope that this lights a fire under them and it's something to rally behind because this guy is putting it on the line for you to win. And I know they got soldiers over there. I know that Pilar is a freaking battler. This dude took one in the face and got back in there as quick as he could. The Mets are are a fun team, and the Mets are very relevant and very fun to watch and talk about right now. So I like it. I like it a lot, personally. What are your thoughts? I think the distinction between uh, Cohen and Sabian is that you can't help but respect Sabian's knowledge of the game. Like the dude knows baseball, obviously. I mean, he was, he's got the bona fides, right? He's, he's the one putting the team together. Whereas in, to go back to my analogy, if I'm, if I'm owning the Warriors, I know basketball, but I don't, I really don't. I know the basics. And so I'd be the idiot owner who'd be like, oh, Ben Simmons, that's a name I've heard of. Does he fit? And I'd be like annoying the GM and I'd be tweeting these thoughts out like Bradley Beal. I don't know anything about Bradley Beal, but I'd be like tweeting out like maybe it's a fit for the Warriors. So I think Cohen might be better than that. Like he might know baseball better than that. But I think the gap between an owner who is following this and a GM, like there's a big gap. And so I don't know Steve Cohen and how well he follows baseball. I don't know if he's on fan graphs 17 times a day. I don't know if he's talking to the scouts and being like, well, you know, here's the the biomechanics of this and the, the kinetic energy and stuff like that. I don't know. But if I'm a player, if I don't know that either, I'm thinking, who is this guy and why does he think he's he knows what's going on? 
Well, do you think that his quote was far off? Like, let's go into the numbers of their offense. And uh, is their, <laughs> is their OPS point. and their plate discipline good? Uh, like, how many pitches are they seeing per bat? You know, this is a good point because... Is he going to say, you aren't qualified, but is the statement way off? Our producer, Brian, uh, drops a, a good nugget of, of knowledge and some context into our, our Zoom chat because uh, this is coming after the Mets uh, are getting their hat handed to them by the Dodgers and so far the Giants, right? And those are the two most disciplined teams in baseball. That's their identity. This is what those teams are built on. It's why they are successful, where it's they, they have that Ted Williams approach where they are only going to swing at the strike they do damage on right they're even gonna they're gonna spit on the strikes that they don't feel that they can hit well you know they're not scared to go into two strike counts the Dodgers and Giants are expert at that it's a rare skill to have and it's why they're leading the world in wins the Mets you know they're not doing horribly they're close to league average with on-base percentage uh you know they're below average in adjusted OPS. So they have a lot of improvement to get to. So he's not off base. And after exactly. watching, after watching the Dodgers You're not and Giants, qualified to make that correct statement, sir. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. It's not like he was saying, I guess there is a difference between, you know, just shooting from the hip and making something that, uh, okay, you're right. That's a good point. But things are very skewed. This is a guy who's now owning and invested and he's witnessing that it's a great point. He's witnessing the Dodgers and the Giants who I talk about. I had a cool conversation with Donnie Ecker, the the head hitting coach of the Giants. And he was talking and and I was talking about, I was covering a couple of their games and like I was telling him about these at bats I thought really changed the game with like Solano and even like there was a strikeout on Dickerson where he had like a eight pitch fight you know they were battling Woodruff and I was like they didn't score runs and like everyone just kept having full count full count the Dodgers do this great the Giants do this great so the light bulb is going on in his head saying these teams that have the most wins they have disciplined approach they don't go outside of the strike zone Farhan has these algorithms and the way that he rates batters not just on their numbers and like OPS is the easiest way to see what they're doing but like he has ways of looking at how much they leave the zone how much they stay in the zone and like that's why he's scooping up these players that like nobody has that high on is because he's a little bit he's way ahead of the curve on breaking down how good an at-bat is from each hitter and Donnie Ecker brought up the term compound interest and this is what you see happen with the Giants and the Dodgers lineups the pitcher has to battle it's not these quick outs you don't get these quick innings you have to you you don't get like so you can't just sit there and throw balls and get them swinging at everything you have to come in the zone and you have to throw a dangerous pitch and they're going to put a dangerous swing on it so it adds up so they might not score in the first and second they might score but they're building it up to where you get tired you get tired and then and you know you can't throw a ball and get them to chase you have nowhere to go but in the zone eventually they get you we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show.
I always wonder, and now it's become it's coming to the forefront of baseball where the ability to recognize a pitch, whether it's going to be in, out of the strike zone, whether it's going to be a pitch, even if it's in the strike zone that I can do damage on or a pitch that I can't, it seems to me like it's almost like a tool, like it's like speed, you know, and you either have a certain amount of it, right? Or, you know, it's it's hard to take a player without this tool, this recognition, this ability to have the neurons fire and say slider down, you know, it, some players never have it and I go back to like when the Red Sox drafted Mookie Betts they had like Nero scouting they they were like putting him attaching nodes to him and saying he reacted to this dot on the screen quicker than any prospect we've ever seen he's making quick decisions we're gonna get Mookie Betts and I think that's a tool and so when an owner tweets this it's gonna be hard for these guys to go yeah okay that's a good point I'll do that now it's like it's like you can't just make you know Yadier Molina run faster it's a tool there's an emotional element to this. There's like lighting a fire under a team. He's like saying like, look, I'm paying you. He is paying you. The best teams are having these disciplined at bats. Like, let's lock it in. Like, let, like, so there's an emotion. Like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like you challenge, these are professional athletes. And you're in New York where you're under fire in general. New York's one of the hardest places to deal with like criticism because it's coming at you. They cannot wait to hate you. They can't wait to criticize you, you know? So like you're already dealing with that. But maybe there's an emotional spark where you're like, you know what, like, I'm not going to have the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this happen. So like sometimes just like an emotional fire to determination is sparked from something like this because it's kind of a big deal. I mean, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but at least he's letting you know how he feels. And like, I'd rather you communicate it than not communicate it. Maybe that's not the best way. Uh, I don't think the owner can come in and have a meeting with the team, but I do think that he is kind of skewed from watching the two best teams. They're kind of painting a picture. And I know I was talking to a couple of players who played with the Astros, Federowitz, and he said that they had like a, a score on not how their hits, but on the pitches that they swung at and the pitches that they took. You actually lose score on this Astros one if you take a pitch right down the middle. They want you swinging the bat when it's a strike. And they want you not swinging the bat when it's a ball. And they rate your game on your pitch selection because they're like, if you swing at the right pitches, you will do damage. And that's kind of the, the gist of it. Because like, you can watch Max Muncy, who's having an MVP type season, and you can throw the, the first pitch and it's a strike and he launches it and he unloads his A swing. And then he doesn't swing for the next eight pitches that were all balls. And you were like, he's swinging every single time, but you're just not throwing the strike. And as soon as you do, wapow! So it, it is a pretty <laughs> Pretty crazy skill, but you can actually work on it. It is something that you can focus upon and work on. And the Rangers were the ones who taught me that. Luis Ortiz and and Calix Krabby, these guys started setting up the machine to throw a ball. We're gonna do a high one, and the machine doesn't always throw it perfect. So it's like ball, ball, ball. You take ten in a row, and it throws one first strike. You need to swing at it. Set up a slider to be off the plate away, off the plate away, off the plate away, off the plate away. Boom! It misses one a little bit because it throws it a little different. Swing at it. They work on your discipline and they like maybe move it a little bit. So it is something that can be practiced, but nobody really practices it that much. I just want to say Calix Krabby, that is a blast from the past. It's one of the all-time great minor league names. He's working with the Rangers. He's a passionate, amazing human. I love him. What's up, Krabby? I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, I love when the minor leaguers that I followed, like, all around baseball, like, you start seeing them pop up, like, oh, there's Damon Minor. You know, he's he's back there. He's doing stuff with the Rivercats. And you start seeing those names. I love that. But I want to go back real quick. When you talked about the New York media it being a tough environment, right? Have you been following anything uh, this morning about Marcus Stroman? And uh, he's kind of got a little back and forth with an, a Newsday reporter, Tim Healy. Have you followed that at all? I haven't. I, I just, I, I, like, it is tough in the East Coast. To, their media will eat you alive. So Tim Healy this morning, he tweets out a link to his uh, game uh, recap. And it's, I don't remember the exact quote, but, uh, you know, Marcus Stroman pitched seven innings, allowed three runs, and retweeted six highlights of himself uh, within 10 minutes of the game ending, right? Obviously a not-so-subtle jab, right? And then this morning, Marcus Stroman Quote tweets, the Duke Athletics Twitter account, they tweeted a highlight of Marcus Stroman because he's a Duke guy. And Marcus Stroman tagged Tim Healy and is like, yeah, here's another highlight for you, buddy. And it made me wonder, like, gosh, that is like, I don't see that happening in San Francisco. Like, I can't imagine like being like, yeah, Buster Posey did this on Instagram. And then like, you know, Buster Posey coming back and be like, oh, yeah, well, here's more of it, buddy. Like it's the New York media scene is so wildly different. Do players talk about that? Like, is it obviously they have to, right? 
I think you just kind of know what you're what you're up against and like there's people that help you with each team to understand like what you're into and like you know it was very relaxed when I was like in Texas with Houston and with the Rangers the media is kind of they do their thing and they're going to criticize you and it's all it, it's very it's very mellow and I went to Philly they're like we set aside a whole different place for you to go to we only give you a few minutes of time keep your answers very short like you are like it's almost like so in, intense you can feel the pressure and it's a, you're afraid to be yourself and you're afraid to, it's it's tough to like even have the the guts to be a Stroman and to battle that back at them because they come at you hot and um you know in Philly it, they're passionate they love their team so much I had people tell me in Philly they're like when you guys win I have a good day and when you guys lose <laughs> I have a bad day and like you feel that from everyone because Philly wears their teams on their their heart and their sleeve. They love it. And the media just like kind of, there's so many of them. It's like 10 times the amount of them and, and they all are needing a different story and a different angle. So there's probably eight great articles and nice things written, but there's two people out to get you to find something to say. And like, it's just hard to deal with. That's funny because when I had this idea in my head, it's like, you know, I want to talk about the Mads and Marcus Stroman and, and all this stuff. I was running through your experiences and I was like, you know, he played in San Francisco, Houston, Texas. Yeah, I'm not, you know, what? I wonder if he has thoughts about those. I totally forgot about Philly. Philly is one of those places that's like New York. It's just, it's a different vibe. And it is, you know, whether it's Eagles or Phillies or whether it is Knicks or Mets or Yankees or Boston, you know, the Red Sox. What makes it so different? I mean, it's the same country. We speak the same language. It was like a weight was lifted of pressure from just the media. Like going from Philly to San Francisco, I mean, some people can handle it. And like, I remember Kirk Gibson saying, like, not many people have the guts to play here. And I got traded out of Philly. I was wanting to win for them so hard. I was visually dreaming it and got traded. And that's like, whatever. But I definitely noticed, like, like, let's go into like what the Mets are doing right now. And let me give you a scenario of what happened with the Giants when we were going through that same June soon where we were like, well, please give me our record. It was like five and... 16 or something terrible and we had just lost another game i'm driving my scooter home and a fan it's not only the media it's the fans as well because i have another story for you there too so i'm going i'm driving back and i'm like man we stink right now like this is so hard like how are we going to get out of this like it's mentally grinding and this fan goes hey you're hunter pence right and i'm like yeah and i was like maybe he wants a picture or whatever and he's like i just want you to know like we love you guys. Y'all are going to get out of this. I believe in you. I think you're going to do great this year. This was in 2014. And I was like, oh my God, if this fan believes in us, I got to believe in us more. And he like picked <laughs> me up. And like, I was like having a good year in Philly one time, but I would like strike out. Like I was kind of, a, I was not that guy with the disciplined approach. And I would have fans, like I'm going to a show, like anyone, it could be a grandmother, like everyone, a grandmother actually did this. She said, stop swinging at the high ones. <laughs> and then, don't swing at the water in the dirt either. And I'm like, well, I swung at it because it looked like it was a strike and then it went there. Like, I didn't, like So I started getting afraid to swing because I didn't want to let the fans down. It's tough. It's tough. And like, that's a big difference. Like when we lost a game one time in San Francisco and fans are going, we love you guys. Good try. Like that doesn't ever happen in Philadelphia. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just for your edification, on June 8th, the 2014 Giants, after a win against the Mets, they were 43-21. and They were 10 games in first place, right? Lincecum got the win. Everything's just humming. They finished, let's see, with a 10-16 and June, but that's kind of overstating it because you won six out of the first eight games. So it was like a gnarly, you got... Three out of four against the Nationals. The Rockies swept you at home. I think that was the the one where there was blown saves in the ninth inning. Uh, there was a four game sweep in that House of Horrors in Cincinnati. So like it was a it was a pretty brutal stretch. It was really 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 bad, and the fans were just like picking us up. And I remember we also were like, and and this is something that I thought was super cool. It's like we would all get around like when you're really down, when you're on that stretch, it's heavy. It's almost like your mind is like psyched out and like you get caught up in it. And I remember we'd sit around in Pagan. I remember Pagan being like, we had this same thing happen in 12 and in 10. He's like, we're going to get out of it. Like we're going to get out of this. And like that was kind of our speech throughout the clubhouse. So like your words and the way you talk with your teammates is very powerful. And so like you, you have to have great leaders and great solid people that and like Pablo was always really good at this. That we're going to be OK. It's OK. And Casilla was like, Giants coming, baby. Giants coming so like our whole mantra with that team was always words of like continue to push continue the process and by the way like philly is so fun and i love philadelphia and playing there is fun and there's some people like go look at like the eagles when they won the super bowl and there was some guy who gave a speech and i remember because this is what you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have this spirit when you're in philadelphia after they won the super bowl he called out everything that was said about every one of his teammates and why they weren't good enough this guy's too slow can't do it not accurate enough definitely not fast enough and he just like goes off after they win the Super Bowl and all the things that everyone said about all of them. And it's like, you just have to take that when you're in the East Coast, when you're with the Mets and like fuel it for the fire because it can help you and it can push and you can be the Kirk Gibson. It's like, you just got to have the guts to not care. So that's kind of what they're battling. But there is definitely a, we're the same country, but it's two different vibes. So in that 2014 season, there was a 10-game lead on June 8th. On July 4th, the Giants were one game behind the Dodgers. The Red Sox right now. Okay, so this is analogous to the Red Sox. In a 20-day, 22-day span, the Red Sox, they've had a nine-and-a-half-game lead over the Yankees. Now they're behind the Yankees. So what you're saying is in that clubhouse, there's still like let's go get it we're not we're not finished yet that that's going to be the likeliest scenario do clubhouses exist where that's just too much to overcome like there's just no one there that's a driving force or on average does every team have these guys that are there they exist to pump the team up not every team has that doom and gloom starts happening like complaining starts happening like we're not doing this right we're not hanging out enough together we're not they'll make we're not on the line for the the you know early enough or there's not enough people in the dugout there's so many things to complain about and there's so many things to bring together so every team is unique and different and every story is unique and different and there isn't one way to bring everyone together. So like, that's what makes sports beautiful is they're unpredictable. And, and, and like every year, there's gonna be a different feeling in a different wave and a different thing to overcome. Can the Mets overcome this? Is this the point where they come together and have a team meeting and everyone buys in? Sometimes you can have a team meeting and people start like bickering about it and disagree. And like, sometimes you can have a team meeting and everyone's like, yeah, let's go. I mean, I got all of this credit for giving speeches, but I gave plenty of speeches that didn't help at all and probably pissed a lot of people off, you know? like. <laughs> I, I failed. I tried. They're like, just give them a speech, Hunter. It's not like that. You got to like make it happen. You got to act on it. You got to be it. Uh, and you have to have everyone buy in and you have to have a group. You can talk to your blue in the face if, if you're talking to a wall versus talking to something, someone that's going to act and do and, and buy in and join the vibe. No, these are good points. So in a clubhouse like the Red Sox, I'm looking at them and I'm seeing the main, the, the, players who are having the biggest offensive seasons, the players who are, are responsible for the Red Sox winning as much as they even have so far, they've been around for a while. Together, I mean, you've got Devers, you've got Bogarts, you've got J.D. Martinez. Like these guys, it's not like it's a bunch of mercenaries and they're like, what's your name again? These guys know each other. 
Does that help when you have a familiarity with the guys you're playing with? Or is it kind of like, you know, sometimes it's almost like a you know an old married couple where you get sick of each other and like, gosh, this guy again for the four straight years chirping at me like that. Is it both, either or? I mean, what's the, the general vibe? It all just depends, honestly. And typically... I would say it's better to be with people longer, but not always the case. It, it just, once again, it, it varies. And sometimes the change of scenery can be really good for someone. Sometimes it can be really bad for someone. But at the end of the day, the Red Sox are doing really well. 69-53, it's just their division is really good. The Yankees are exceptional, and they were supposed to be exceptional, and everyone was freaking out about how they weren't being so good. The Blue Jays are extraordinarily good. You know, so it's going to be a dogfight, and it's going to come down to just heart and grindiness. I just think the Yankees pitching is a little bit better. You're not going to hit your way out of there. I do think J.D. Martinez is going to hit. Devers is going to hit. Bogarts is going to hit. And, you know, they, they have a fighting spirit. I'm watching them. Kike Hernandez, he's been a part of some special things as well. I like watching him over there. It's going to be entertaining. You can't really call this. We can make these predictions all we want, and we can look at the numbers, and it looks to me like it's going to be the Yankees are going to be you know, push it. I think they're in. The other one I picked was the, was the A's, but they're, they're definitely treading water. Red Sox are kind of treading water. So I think it's going to be a battle between the Red Sox and the A's to see who, who gets that second spot. Do you think the rankings could potentially catch the Rays with how hot they are right now? I think nothing is impossible. And I think the, the default opinion is that Look, the Yankees were supposed to be good. You know what I mean? It's not like this is a team that came out of nowhere. This is a team that has struggled because, look, DJ LeMayhew, uh, you know, he's hitting 270. He's, he's fine, but he's not DJ LeMayhew, right? Uh, you've got uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge doing their things, but you have a lot more that these players can be doing. You can get more out of Gallo. You can get, you know, when Anthony Rizzo comes back, he's, he's filling a huge hole. You can get more out of all of these players, almost to a man, and then when you add that into the bullpen they already had in place, uh, the strong starting rotation, they're a really, really strong team. But the caveat there is that five games is a lot. It's not June, you know what I mean? It's We're talking late August. The Rays are also an excellent team. Five games is a ton with a month left. I know it just sounds like, look, if they win five in a row and the Rays lose five in a row, yes, that's true. But in general, like they're going to be win two, lose one, win one, lose one. And that's kind of how seasons work. Five games is a lot. I think the Rays are in a good spot. You sold me on that. And, and let's get to like a tougher question. Another race, but this one might be, I'm not sure how many games this is. Padres and Reds. The Reds are, are kind of chugging along, chugging along, quietly chugging. And the Padres are kind of like, they're scuffling right now. They're in another similar situation as the Mets where you've kind of tanked a little bit. Is there a chance the Padres can sneak or the Reds can sneak in there on the Padres? I mean, I'm a big fan of Jace Tingler, the manager of the Padres. I'm excited to see them get into the playoffs and do some things. What are your thoughts there? It is definitely possible. I mean, look, it's for so long, it's just been assumed that, yeah, 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 you know, it's going to be whoever wins the NL West, the second place team is going to be the wild card, right? And for a while, it was the Dodgers, Padres, whoever doesn't win is in the wild card game. And then the Giants start creeping up. It's like, okay, well, now whoever doesn't win, it's going to be the second and third place team. That's the wild card game, guaranteed, rubber stamp it. And now the Padres, I mean, it's not a given. They haven't been terrible in the second half. They have more talent on their IL as far as starting pitchers than I think I've ever seen when you're talking Clevenger, Lamette, Chris Paddock's on the, the IL now, uh, you Darvish is on the IL. I mean, they are just constantly just getting hammered with their starting pitching and it wasn't supposed to be an issue. They've worked so hard to build a good rotation. It's not their form right now. So there's a definite risk. I mean, yeah. And, and are any of them even expected to come back? Do they have any light at the end of the tunnel or are they just all gone? Darvish is, you know, that that's not supposed to be super serious. Even when you've got players who are, you know, healthy, like Blake Snell's not the Blake Snell that we know. Uh, you know, Lamette is, uh, he's not someone that you would be able to rely on in October. I mean, Clevenger's out until next year. It's, it's a rough, rough go that the Padres have of it. And if you could wave a wand and give them every one of their starting pitchers, like in the organization, uh, a bill of clean health they would be so good like they would be so dominant in a, a team to watch in the postseason they still might be I mean they're still a very very good team a deep offensive team man they've just been hit so hard with injuries 
Yeah, just looking at this, I didn't even see Pomeranz is out. Like, I haven't actually looked at this. Keona Kella is out. Morihone, like Adrian Morihone. I mean, they just like, it's it's all of them. Oh, that's rough. Okay, so I feel better about, I haven't actually looked at like the roster. I just have kind of been watching the, the score and the games. So that makes a lot more sense. And the, and the Reds are just kind of chugging along. Uh, Joey Votto doing just ridiculous things. MVP race in the National League. I'm a little bit... Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but like I saw that they were like, they put up the three people and, and there was no giant on that list. And I feel like Crawford should have been like to just have Muncie, Tatis and Harper and to not even put Brandon Crawford up there kind of had me a little spicy. I don't disagree. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit biased too. I have been watching Crawford all season. And what he's done, it's the timing of his hits. You know, I'm not saying that it has a ton of predictive value when you're hitting with runners in scoring position and two outs. It happened and it helps the team. And so you've got that. If you're just going by pure, you know, war, he is right there with Harper. I mean, because you got to count the defense, right? You've got Muncie doing his thing and, and Muncie probably is the, the odds on favorite right now. But I don't know how you can take someone like Crawford who is uh, so respected in the clubhouse, who is just a veteran, who is so freaking steady in the field and how that affects the pitching staff. I mean, it's he's doing everything right. I think he's got a really, really strong case right now. I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. So I don't think it's super clear that it's just those three. And, and that was the last thing I wanted to get off my chest. We didn't hit up the <laughs> NL East if you want to cover that. Are you still picking the Mets? No, no. I think I... Oh, wait a minute. One week. It's been one week. You're joining the owner. I You're think I ruined them. I think... No, listen, I'm not even going to start picking teams because I'm going to start getting uh, nasty emails from their fans. But one thing I'm an idiot about is I don't look at the schedule coming up. So I didn't think, you know, I didn't look to see where the Mets were playing. When you go into Los Angeles and you go into San Francisco right now in 2021, that's a rough road trip, man. That is a rough road trip. When you're playing a Sunday night game for ESPN and then flying cross country to face the Giants, that's rough. That's just really, really hard on a team. And so they're in a tricky, tricky spot. At the same time, this is my first, not my first, but this is, I'm getting a really close look at the Mets and they still have a ton of talent. They've got guys I think should be doing more. Like Jeff McNeil, I think is way better than he, you know, his 255 average right now. I think Dominic Smith is better. I think Michael Conforto is a lot better. I think all these guys. So when I'm picking the Mets, I'm looking at guys like this and James McCann, I'm saying, all these guys should be hitting better. But at some point, they're just hitting the way they're hitting. And uh, I got to I gotta go back on my word a little bit. All right. I mean, <laughs> so who are you taking? You got the Braves as well? You're, you're joining the, the Braves train or are you on the Phillies? Braves are good. Braves are good. But you know what? The Phillies, I just, I look at that lineup. I think that they, they've got something going on. Uh, I could I could get behind the Phillies. I, I don't know. I I, I think uh, if you're going to pull uh, pull my hair and, and make me decide, it's going to be the Braves, though. All right, this has been episode number 21 of the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, uh, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. We will be back next week. We'll know what is if there's been some space, some daylight in the NL East. We'll know if the Red Sox have turned it around a little bit, if the Yankees have cooled off. We'll know that, and we'll talk about baseball, because that's what we do. Thanks so much for listening. Yankees aren't cooling off. <laughs>